Welcome to the Registered Investment Advisor Podcast, where financial services marketing expert Seth Green interviews experts, executives, and top producers to share can't-miss tips on how they successfully manage their financial service firms, grow their businesses, create great relationships, and influence the industry. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be interviewing by David Cohn, who is an accomplished investment research analyst and financial writer with skills in capital markets, mutual fund, ETF research, as well as fundamental equity analysis. His research and writing has been published in numerous financial publications. He is currently a mutual fund analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. David, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Let's go back in time just a little bit. How did you get started in the business in the first place? Well, it actually is uh, you know, through my family. My grandfather was a stockbroker. My father was a financial planner. And I just you know, had the investing bug and um, just loved the research part of it and just wanted to get into the business. Okay. And where did you start? I started my career at a firm called Advisor Investments uh, based in Massachusetts. They had a focus on mutual funds. And so when I was there, I did a little bit of everything from helping with marketing, client service, operations, and just kind of ran the gamut of everything. And my focus uh, or my skills were always really in research, though. And so the chief investment officer of that firm asked me if I'd like to join him at a different firm uh, or a second firm for him where I was focused uh, solely on mutual fund research. And that's really been my passion. All right. And was that second firm, how did you get to Bloomberg? Was that the second firm or? Nope. Um, the second firm was a, a boutique, a manager research firm called the Ranking Service. I have actually uh, started in Bloomberg in March of this year. So I'm fairly new, but it has a lot of parallels to what I did at that other boutique firm. Just a lot of um, mutual fund researches, which I love doing. What is it about mutual funds that interests you so much? Um, I think it's it's really, you know, the active management part of it. Um, of course, you know, index mutual funds are here and they're still bringing in assets. Um, active management is kind of taking a hit in the media. Um, you know, just in general, I think less investors are intrigued by active management. But I love kind of digging into the data and finding managers that are performing well and, and, you know, figuring out why they're outperforming their peers and just, you know, the idea of what's driving the portfolios and what managers are thinking. Uh, That makes a lot of sense. And you've been in the business a while. What are some, uh, obviously it's changed just a bit. What are some of the changes you've seen that you think have affected the industry the most? Um, I think one of the big things is cost. So if you go back about 20 years, mutual funds were pretty costly. And, you know, once ETFs came and I mean, as you probably know, investors have been leaving, um, mutual funds for ETFs for years, whether it's due to cost or tax efficiency. But uh, I think the big story over the last decade is just the, the cost of both funds have been going down. Um, mutual funds are now kind of playing catch up uh, to ETFs due to so many um, funds losing assets. And so it's really, you know, one of the things our team has discovered, um, we have something called the 40 basis points uh, phenomenon, where we found that ETFs or active equity ETFs and active mutual fund ETFs, 
the funds with uh, expense ratios below 40 basis points are taking in the most assets. And so what we're seeing now is a lot of uh, ETFs and mutual funds that are kind of moving to that lower expense ratios, and that's bringing in the flows for them. And also, it does help performance. It may harm uh, a firm's revenue a little bit, but you know, the more assets they bring in due to the better performance and the lower costs you know, can definitely make up for it in the long run. For sure. Let's talk about that. Do you think the that pricing pressure, um, do you think that's a good thing for the industry or do, uh, do you think that then makes it they're paying their analysts less, they're going to do that maybe they can't get as good of people or are they delivering less results? Are there any stats on since this sort of pricing pressure has happened, how it's affected the industry overall? Well, I know the ETFs are taking on a lot of assets. And so, you know, I mean, a lot of them, you have a lot of passive um, ETFs, but active ETFs are really having a big year this year just due to the lower costs. And, you know, a lot of people are finally going to active ETFs, which didn't really wasn't bringing in the same amount of assets as passive ETFs. And I think mutual funds in general, I think there's a reluctance on firms for going lower in expenses because they have other fees to consider that ETFs typically don't. And so I think there's a little bit of reluctance. But, you know, as I mentioned, we have found that firms have the ones that have moved to the lower costs are seeing the bulk of the flows. And, you know, whether that changes how a mutual fund will pay its fund manager or analyst, it's hard to say at this point. I haven't really looked at that type of data, but I think it's more of looking at the long run, you know, are you going to be left out and, you know, continuing to charge high fees? Or do you want to, you know, be able to retain assets and even grow your assets, which I think, you know, moving to a lower cost model, I think is it be much better in the long run for them. What do you see other you talked about, we've obviously talked about the cost pressure significantly. Um, why do you think there's been such an exodus, let's say, from active management? Why has active management taken the hit in the media, as you've seen? I think that, you know, there's a, always a lot of analysts or um, you know media will talk about active managers not beating their benchmarks. And it's definitely true. You know, we've done the research. The amount of active management that has beaten their benchmarks is on the lower end, just depending on the asset class. So if you look at large cap or large cap growth in general, it's much harder for managers um, to be able to generate alpha or outperform their benchmarks when they're all competing against each other for that alpha. You know, it's a little bit easier in other asset classes, um, you know, such as like emerging markets, you know, different fixed income classes, even small caps. It can be a little easier for a manager because, you know, the information's not as, as well known as, you know, most large cap stocks. And so, just many of them are having a hard time beating their benchmark. And I think one, co- lower costs will help because they don't have to, you know, be, go beyond that threshold of, you know, if they're charging 1%, that's going to eat into performance. But, you know, I think that these active managers, um, it's really on them now to, to find a way to outperform. And, you know, one of the things we've seen this year, I'm sure you've heard of the Magnificent Seven or Super Seven, that the stocks that are really kind of you know, dominating this year, uh, we have in our research found that, you know, certain growth funds that have high allocations to tech, as well as high allocations to those big stocks are really performing well this year. And it's really on the managers to try to find a way to, to do that and uh, outperform. And I know that, you know, there's different kinds of funds. So you have non-diversified funds, which can have higher allocations, but diversified funds cannot. And so they're going to have a really hard time uh, outperforming in a market like this. So 
I believe it's really on the managers to have to find a way to generate alpha, whether they kind of do these large allocations to the tech stocks or find different ways of, or finding, you know, companies that are, aren't as uh, covered as other, uh, you know, some of the larger ones. That makes a lot of sense. In your role as a mutual fund analyst, what does a day look like for you? What's a typical, is there a typical day? And if so, what's it look like? I don't believe there's a typical day. I mean, I do spend a lot of time um, looking through data, trying to find insights what's happening, whether that's flows or, um, you know, I like to find different funds that have, you know, kind of wild returns in different months. I just published a note covering the Fairhome Fund, which they have uh, currently, or according to the most recent filing, only five stocks in their portfolio with one stock it's about 90% of the portfolio. And, you know, just having that one stock drove a 26% return last month, which is pretty big for, you know, one fund to be able to do that. And so, you know, this manager just has an ultra concentrated portfolio. And, you know, I think to find different things like that. So it's really just a mix of looking at data, um, you know, trying to create things on the Bloomberg terminal that might help other users um, look at the data a lot easier as well as just, you know, in writing research notes that I think would help our clients, you know, provide value for them. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what started, you, you've written quite a lot. What started the writing part of your career? That's actually a good question. Um, you know, when I started, it was mainly data. And, you know, when I moved over to the ranking service, which was the boutique firm I mentioned, that was very quantitative. We had formulas that would look at mutual fund uh, risk adjusted returns. And so I started writing um, about the managers themselves. You know, what kind of strategy were they kind of a macro view of the market or were they bottom up, you know, individual stock pickers and kind of learning the different strategies. And then going from there, I started writing about individual managers. So I would do a monthly article and, and start writing um, market commentaries. And so that kind of continued. And when I left the ranking service, there was a big uh, demand for writers. And so I was writing a lot about ETFs, mutual funds, stocks, and it just due to that demand, I kind of got into writing, but I love writing now just as much as I love digging through data. And so it kind of you know, in most research roles, unless you're a data analyst, writing is part of the job. And um, I love it just as much as uh, you know, doing data research. And there, how deep in the weeds do you get? Are you so are you doing data 100 percent? Are you ever, you know, going and meeting with the managers themselves and interviewing them, checking out the operation? Does that part does that come into play at all? Well, right now, um, just because I started, um, it's been mainly looking at data, but meeting with managers um, will come as I grow um, more into the role. And, you know, that's definitely something I look forward to kind of understanding what they have to say and, you know, why they're making certain decisions or what their thoughts are on the market. So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Your, your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? You know, I just I love going into work every day and looking at the data. You know, I like to play around kind of doing different fun screens to try to determine, you know, what's kind of what jumps out at me at the at different times, whether it's looking at holdings, you know, what, you know, certain firms have, or excuse me, certain mutual funds will have very concentrated portfolios. Others might have 400 stocks or 400 securities in them and just trying to see, you know, what's driving returns. And that's just 
you know, finding these managers that outperform or finding funds that are, you know, performing well over one month and just determining why it's, it's really, you know, it's something I love to do. That makes a lot of sense. Well, we greatly appreciate your time. We know it's incredibly valuable for our folks who are watching in the industry who might want to learn more about what you're doing, maybe read uh, the writings that you're creating. Where is the best place for them to go? Um, well, they'd actually have to be terminal users. So all my research is on the um, the Bloomberg terminal. And so right now it, it's really for uh, people that have access to that. And, you know, they would just have to go to look up my name, my full name, David Cohn, um, and then look at my bio and they'll have access to all of my research notes. Awesome. All right. Well, we greatly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much, Seth. I enjoyed being here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll talk to you or see you next time. 49 faces looked to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.